0: SECTION 2 of THE DISCOURSE ON INEQUALITY by Jean-Jacques Rousseau. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This is a reading by Eric Jonas. A DISCOURSE UPON THE ORIGIN AND THE FOUNDATION OF THE INEQUALITY AMONG MANKIND by Jean-Jacques Rousseau. DISCOURSE FIRST PART SECTION 1 DISCOURSE FIRST PART However important it may be, in order to form a proper judgment of the natural state of man, to consider him from his origin, and to examine him, as it were, in the first embryo of the species, I shall not attempt to trace his organization through its successive approaches to perfection. I shall not stop to examine in the animal system what he might have been in the beginning, to become at last what he actually is. I shall not inquire whether, as Aristotle thinks, his neglected nails were no better at first than crooked talons, whether his whole body was not bear-like, thick-covered with rough hair, and whether, walking upon all fours, his eyes, directed to the earth, and confined to a horizon of a few paces extent, did not at once point out the nature and limit of his ideas. I could only form vague and almost imaginary conjectures on this subject. Comparative anatomy has not as yet been sufficiently improved, neither have the observations of natural philosophy been sufficiently ascertained to establish upon such foundations the basis of a solid system, for this reason, without having recourse to the supernatural informations with which we have been favoured on this head, or paying any attention to the changes that must have happened in the conformation of the interior and exterior parts of man's body, in proportion as he applied his members to new purposes and took new ailments, I shall suppose his conformation to always have been what we now behold it, that he always walked on two feet, made the same use of his hand that we do of ours extended his looks over the whole face of nature and measured with his eyes the vast extent of the heavens if i strip this being thus constituted of all the supernatural gifts which he may have received and of all the artificial faculties which we could not have acquired but by slow degrees if i consider him in a word such as he must have issued from the hands of nature i see an animal less strong than some and less active than others but upon the whole the most advantageously organized of any i see him satisfying the calls of hunger under the first oak and those of thirst at the first rivulet i see him laying himself down to sleep at the foot of the same tree that afforded him his meal and behold this done all of his wants are completely supplied the earth left to its own natural fertility and covered with immense woods that no hatchet ever disfigured offers at every step food and shelter to every species of animals men dispersed among them observe and imitate their industry and thus rise to the instinct of beasts with this advantage that whereas every species of beasts is confined to one peculiar instinct man who perhaps has not any that particularly belong to him appropriates to himself those of all other animals and lives equally upon most of the different ailments which they only divide among themselves a circumstance which qualifies him to find his subsistence with more ease than any of them men accustomed from their infancy to the inclemency of the weather and to the rigor of the different seasons inured to fatigue and obliged to defend naked and without arms their life and their prey against the other wild inhabitants of the forest or at least to avoid their fury by flight acquire a robust and almost unalterable habit of body the children bringing with them into the world the excellent constitution of their parents and strengthening it by the same exercises that first produced it attain by this means all the vigor that the human frame is capable of. Nature treats them exactly in the same manner that Sparta treated the children of her citizens. Those who come well formed into the world she renders strong and robust, and destroys all the rest, differing in this respect from our societies, in which the state, by permitting children to become burdensome to their parents, murders them all without distinction, even in the wombs of their mothers. The body being the only instrument that savage man is acquainted with, he employs it to such different uses of which ours, for want of practice, are incapable. And we may thank our industry for the loss of that strength and agility which necessity obliges him to acquire. Had he a hatchet, would his hand so easily snap from an oak so stout a branch? Had he a sling, would it dart a stone to so great a distance? Had he a ladder, would it run so nimbly up a tree? had he a horse would he with such swiftness shoot along the plain give civilized man but time to gather about him all of his machines and no doubt he will be an overmatch for the savage But if you have a mind to see a contest still more unequal, place them naked and unarmed one opposite to the other, and you will soon discover the advantage there is in perpetually having all our forces at our disposal, in being constantly prepared against all events, and in always carrying ourselves, as it were, whole and entire about us. Hobbes would have it that man is naturally void of fear, and always intent upon attacking and fighting an illustrious philosopher thinks on the contrary and cumberland and puffendorf likewise affirm it that nothing is more fearful than man in a state of nature that he is always in a tremble and ready to fly at the first motion he perceives at the first noise that strikes his ears this, indeed, may be very true in regard to objects with which he is not acquainted, and I make no doubt of his being terrified at every new sight that presents itself, as often he cannot distinguish the physical good and evil which he may expect from it, nor compare his forces with the dangers he has to encounter, circumstances that seldom occur in a state of nature, or all things proceed in so uniform a manner and the face of the earth is not liable to those sudden and continual changes occasioned in it by the passions and inconstancies of collected bodies but savage man living among other animals without any society or fixed habitation and finding himself early under a necessity of measuring his strength with theirs soon makes a comparison between both and finding that he surpasses them more in address than they surpass him in strength he learns not to be any longer in dread of them. Turn out a bear or a wolf against a sturdy, active, resolute savage, and this they all are, provided with stones and a good stick, and you will soon find that the danger is at least equal on both sides, and that after several trials of this kind, wild beasts, who are not fond of attacking each other, will not be very fond of attacking man, whom they have found every whit as wild as themselves. As to animals, who have really more strength than man has address he is, in regard to them, what other weaker species are, who find means to subsist notwithstanding. He has even this great advantage over such weaker species, that being equally fleet with them, and finding on every tree an almost inviolable asylum, he is always at liberty to take it or leave it, as he likes best, and of course to fight or to fly, whichever is most agreeable to him to this we may add that no animal naturally makes war upon man except in the case of self-defense or extreme hunger nor even expresses against him any of those violent antipathies which seem to indicate that some particular species are intended by nature for the food of others but there are other more formidable enemies and against which man is not provided with the same means of defense i mean natural infirmities infancy old age and sickness of every kind melancholy proofs of our weakness whereof the two first are common to all animals and the last chiefly attends man living in a state of society it is even observable in regard to infancy that the mother being able to carry her child about with her wherever she goes can perform the duty of a nurse with a great deal less trouble than the females of many other animals who are obliged to be constantly going and coming with no small labor and fatigue one way to look out for their own subsistence, and another to suckle and feed their young ones. True it is that if the woman happens to perish, her child is exposed to the greatest danger of perishing with her. But this danger is common to a hundred other species, whose young ones require a great deal of time to be able to provide for themselves. And if our infancy is longer than theirs, our life is longer likewise, so that in this respect too, all things are in a manner equal not but that there are other rules concerning the duration of the first age of life and the number of young of man and other animals but they do not belong to my subject with old men who stir and perspire but little the demand for food diminishes with their abilities to provide it and as a savage life would exempt them from the gout and the rheumatism and old age is of all ills that which human assistance is least capable of alleviating they would at last go off without its being perceived by others that they cease to exist and almost without perceiving it themselves in regard to sickness i shall not repeat the vain and false declamations made use of to discredit medicine by most men while they enjoy their health i shall only ask if there are any solid observations from which we may conclude that in those countries where the healing art is most neglected the mean duration of man's life is shorter than in those where it is most cultivated and how is it possible this should be the case if we inflict more diseases upon ourselves than medicine can supply us with remedies the extreme inequalities in the manner of living of the several classes of mankind the excessive idleness in some and of labor in others the facility of irritating and satisfying our sensuality and our appetites the too exquisite and out-of-the-way ailments of the rich which fill them with fiery juices and bring on indigestions the unwholesome food of the poor, of which even, bad as it is, they very often fall short, and the want of which tempt them every opportunity that offers to eat greedily and overload their stomachs, watchings, excesses of every kind, immoderate transports of all the passions, fatigues, waste of spirits, in a word, the numberless pains and anxieties annexed to every condition, and which the mind of man is constantly a prey to, These are the fatal proofs that most of our ills are of our own making, and that we might have avoided them all by adhering to the simple, uniform, and solitary way of life prescribed to us by nature. Allowing that nature intended we should always enjoy good health, I dare almost affirm that a state of reflection is a state against nature, and that the man who meditates is a depraved animal. We need only call to mind the good constitution of savages, of those at least whom we have not destroyed by our strong liquors. We need only reflect that they are strangers to almost every disease, except those occasioned by wounds in old age, to be in a manner convinced that the history of human diseases might be easily composed by pursuing that of civil societies. Such at least was the opinion of Plato, who concluded from certain remedies made use of or approved by Podalaris and Macaron at the Siege of Troy, that several disorders, which these remedies were found to bring on in his days, were not known among men at that remote period. Man, therefore, in a state of nature where there are so few sources of sickness, can have no great occasion for physic, and still less for physicians. Neither is the human species more to be pitied in this respect than any other species of animals. Ask those who make hunting their recreation or business, if in their excursions they meet with many sick or feeble animals, They meet with many carrying the marks of considerable wounds that have been perfectly well healed and closed up, with many whose bones formerly broken and whose limbs almost torn off have completely knit and united, without any other surgeon but time, any other regimen but their usual way of living, and whose cures were not the less perfect for their not having been tortured with incisions, poisoned with drugs, or worn out by diet and abstinence. In a word, However useful medicine well-administered may be to us who live in a state of society, it is still past doubt that if, on the one hand, the sick, savage, destitute of help, has nothing to hope from nature, on the other, he has nothing to fear but from his disease, a circumstance which often renders his situation preferable to ours. Let us, therefore, beware of confounding savage man with the men whom we daily see and converse with. Nature behaves towards all animals left to her care, with a predilection that seems to prove how jealous she is of that prerogative. The horse, the cat, the bull, nay, the ass itself, have generally a higher stature and always a more robust constitution, more vigor, more strength and courage in their forests than in our houses. They lose half these advantages by becoming domestic animals it looks as if all our attention to treat them kindly and to feed them well served only to bastardize them it is thus with man himself in proportion as he becomes sociable and a slave to others he becomes weak fearful mean-spirited and his soft and effeminate way of living at once completes the enervation of his strength and of his courage We may add that there must be still a wider difference between man and man in a savage and domestic condition than between beast and beast. For as men and beasts have been treated alike by nature, all the conveniences with which men indulge themselves more than they do the beasts tamed by them are so many particular causes which make them degenerate more sensibly." Nakedness, therefore, the want of houses, and of all these unnecessaries which we consider as so very necessary, are not such mighty evils in respect to these primitive men, and much less still any obstacle to their preservation. Their skins, it is true, are destitute of hair, but then they have no occasion for any such covering in warm climates, and in cold climates they soon learn to apply to that use those of the animals they have conquered, they have but two feet to run with. They have but two hands to defend themselves with, and provide for all their wants. It costs them, perhaps, a great deal of time and trouble to make their children walk, but the mothers carry them with ease, an advantage not granted to other species of animals, with whom the mother, when pursued, is obliged to abandon her young ones, or regulate her steps by theirs in short unless we admit those singular and fortuitous concurrences of circumstances which i shall speak of hereafter and which it is very possible may never have existed it is evident in every state of the question that the man who first made himself clothes and built himself a cabin supplied himself with things he did not much want since he had lived without them till then and why should he not have been able to support in his riper years the same kind of life which he had supported from his infancy alone idle and always surrounded with danger savage man must be fond of sleep and sleep lightly like other animals who think but little and may in a manner be said to sleep all the time they do not think self-preservation being almost his only concern he must exercise those faculties most which are most serviceable in attacking and defending whether to subdue his prey or to prevent his becoming that of other animals Those organs, on the contrary, which softness and sensuality alone can improve, must remain in a state of rudeness, utterly incompatible with all manner of delicacy, and as his senses are divided on this point, his touch and his taste must be extremely coarse and blunt, his sight, his hearing, and his smelling equally subtle, such is the animal state in general, and accordingly, if we may believe travellers, it is that of most savage nations. We must therefore not be surprised that the Hottentots of the Cape of Good Hope distinguish with their naked eyes ships on the ocean at as great distance as the Dutch can discern them with their glasses, nor that the savages of America should have tracked the Spaniards with their noses to as great a degree of exactness as the best dogs could have done, nor that all these barbarous nations support nakedness without pain, use such large quantities of pimento to give their food a relish, and drink like water the strongest liquors of Europe. End of section one of Discourse First Part.